Hello, friends. I would love to see you open up your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2 for a scripture reading in just a moment. Uh, one of a pastor's favorite sounds is to hear the sounds of Bibles being opened and pages being turned to. So I love that sound. And those of you who you do this on your phone, then find an app that makes that sound for me. And that will satisfy that desire. Uh, as you're turning in your Bibles or clicking on your phones, I want to just remind you that one of the uh, one of the hopes this year is that our church would be inviting people to great things. And what that means is we want you to step into people's lives, um, lives that maybe are hopeless, uh, lives that are lonely, uh, lives that are drudgery, lives that are routine, and, and you invite them to something great. And we want to, right now, we, we just want to celebrate that you would invite someone to step into something great. And so let's see if you remember the five things that we want to see uh, over a thousand invitations this year. So what's one of the things we want to invite to? We want to invite to service. Who said that? Hey, go invite someone to service. Next, what else do we want to invite? So what is we want to invite people, and not just to service, to serve with you. So it's easy to be like, hey, go, go do some service. No, no, I'm going to serve. So like next week, I think there's a work day, Saturday morning, 8 a.m. Uh, last, by the way, when they did it like six months ago, the average age of the worker was 65, no doubt. So guys, if you're in your 20s and 30s, next week, 8 a.m., help, help a brother, right? So serve with you. So invite someone to serve with you. Guys, north of 65, ask a younger brother to help you. We're going to serve. What's another great thing? Table. Invite people to your table. Good. Invite someone to lunch. Invite someone to your table. Inside one to the Starbucks table. Say, like, how are you? So invite people to your table. Invite people to serve with you. What else are we going to serve people? Christ. To Christ. Who said that? Way in the back. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to have a guy in between. What's that guy called? Cutoff man. Thanks. Yeah, we want to invite people to Christ. Invite people to know the Lord. All the way in the back. Uh, so serve with you, invite people to your table, invite people to Christ. Church. Who said church? Yeah. Randy, go invite someone to church next week. Uh, God, God does great things in, in the houses, in, in his house. He shows up in unique ways when people praise him and speak his word. So we're going to invite people to your table. We're going to invite people into service. We're going to invite people to church. We're going to invite people to Christ. What's one of the other places we want to see you invite people to? To your Bible study. Not just your Bible study, but yes, your Bible study. Your group. Those communities where people are honored and Christ is lifted up. Okay, I might be able to get this one. Come on, Jake. Oh, who'd I hit? I'm going to make you guys sign something when you come to church from now on. Hey, invite people to... Hey, who could you invite this week? To your table? To a group where people are honored and Christ is lifted up? Who could you invite to serve with you? Serve in your school? Serve in a Sunday school? Serve your neighbor? Who could you invite to church? And would you take an opportunity to pray, like, who should I invite to know and follow Jesus? Let me pray for those things, and then we'll open up God's word together. Father in heaven, we come before you. Many of us are here because someone invited us. Someone invited us to a vacation Bible school when we were young, and we heard the saving message of Christ, and we believed. Someone invited us to our table, to their table, when we were lonely, when we didn't have a friend, we didn't have hope, we didn't have encouragement. 
Someone invited us to church. Someone invited us to youth group. And then someone also took the bold step to invite us to Christ. To present to us who Jesus is and how much he loves us despite our sin. And so we thank you for those who go before us who have uh, invited us, who have declared the glory of God to the next generation. And Lord, we pray for that future opportunity as well, that we would commend your works to one another and to the next generation. Thank you for uh, the ministry of the Corrells with Bible Pathways uh, in India and other countries. We thank you, Lord, that they're inviting pastors to study the word faithfully and to present it truthfully. And Lord, we know that your word does not return void. We would ask the same now as the word is preached, Lord, that you would use your word to shape your people's minds, shape their hearts, shape their affections. And we pray that those who are with us this morning who are investigating Christianity, that are trying to understand the Bible, understand what it means to know Jesus and walk with Jesus, that this would help them today to take their next step toward a living and vibrant relationship with the living God. Would you speak now, Lord, your servants are listening. Open our ears, open our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read to you Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy has puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives, captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. 
Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman? Or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is God's word. Uh, so, so to craft eyeglasses, it's, it's a bit of an art. Um, you, craftsmen who make eyeglasses, they have to be careful, right? Nearsighted people need concave lenses. Farsighted people, they need a convex lens. Uh, you know, and particularly, those of you who wear eyeglasses, you'll know, like, you want that prescription to be right, especially when you have to drive in the dark. Right, the glare or to see incorrectly, it is so hard to drive in the dark. Well, one of the wonderful gifts about Scripture is it corrects our vision to see clearly. It, it, it shapes us so that we can see how the world should be seen. We let's be honest, we need corrective lenses. You take the glasses off. Without the help of God's word and God's spirit, we see incorrectly. All of you look fuzzy, right? So we, and so one of the what we're doing this morning is we're we're getting our lenses corrected to see in the dark. If you remember the context of the book of Habakkuk, this is a dark time uh, for for the nation of Judah. There is political corruption. Uh, there is religious corruption. There is an, a huge economic downturn. It is a very dark day, and the, 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 we read in earlier chapters, the solution to this dark day, Habakkuk says, what are you going to do about all this injustice and violence in the land? And God says, I'm going to send more judgment on you in Babylon. And so we need some, some insight on how to, how to live in light of judgment and evil and violence and corruption. How can we see clearly? And in the middle of this section, God gives us a verse that gives us a very important doctrine to see clearly in dark days and to see clearly, particularly in, in times of judgment. And that verse was 2.14. This verse helps us see clearly to live in dark days. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a, one of the shortest and most, most kind of pithy verses to summarize what, what, what the Bible calls the doctrine of consummation. Uh, the, the idea that God has a glorious end intended for this world. Uh, this is a doctrine that often gets neglected. And if we don't not only see this and know this doctrine, but feel this doctrine in our gut, we will not navigate dark days well. Um, you know, again, what is consummation? And that, that's a big word. Sometimes it's called you know, the glorious return. Sometimes it's called the restoration. But what consummation refers to is God's intended purpose for creation, humanity, and the kingdom of God. And the, the picture that Habakkuk gives us is that God's glory will one day drench every inch of creation. 
As much as the waters cover the sea, so the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be across the earth. Well, think about it this way. Glory is like the opposite of pollution. If you have air pollution, it, it takes away the full splendor of a sunrise or, or the sharpness of a blue sky. And you look out today, our world is covered in a pollution of evil and corruption. The world is not right. But what Habakkuk says, one day, all the pollution will be removed. And the glory of God will pierce through. One day, nothing will resist our full experience of knowing God. But in the midst of this, and this is what a lot of Habakkuk 2 is about, in the midst of this, no one and no thing will be able to oppose the knowledge of God. All resistance will be put to a stop. And so this is what I want to persuade you of from this text. This is the, the truth. I don't want you just to know it. I want you to feel it. The truth that I want you to know and the truth I want you to feel, feel is this. It, to see God's intended end, to see God's intended end, it will free us from silly side hustles and silence rebellion. If we see God's intended end, it will free us from silly side hustles and silence rebellion. So three points. Let's see the end. Let's be freed from silly side hustles and let rebellion be silenced. Number one, see the end. This is, we see this in the first five verses. God wants Habakkuk and now us to see something. Uh, many of you remember that 2-1 is the, the end of a, of a prayer that Habakkuk has said to God. God, I don't understand what you're doing in my time. I don't understand why you're sending the Babylonians to bring judgment on the at least a little more righteous people from Judah. And I'm going to stand here until you explain it to me. And when God replies, he says, write it down. In fact, he says, etch it into tablets. What I'm about to tell you is as certain as the Ten Commandments, write it down. But then it says in verse 4, see, behold, this is what we're supposed to see. This is the truth that's going to be true about God's intention for the end. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied, he gathers himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Most of verses 4 and 5 are about the pride and arrogant person. With this beautiful word of hope at the second half of verse 4. But it's mostly about pride, about arrogance. In Habakkuk's day, it's, it's talking about Babylon. And Babylon is being personified as a proud and arrogant person who thinks that he's going to get away with murder as he travels through the Middle East and destroys one nation after another. Who's going to stop me? And God says, I want you to see the end of Babylon. Really to see the end of all Babylons. Pick up your Bible. Babylon comes up again in Revelation. The last Babylon will be defeated as well. All Babylons will face this sort of end. Whether it's you're in, you're in my own heart acting like Babylon or nations actually called Babylon, this is their end. And we could put it this way. Pride doesn't pay. You ever heard that expression? You usually hear it this way. Crime doesn't pay. 
But pride doesn't pay. I was thinking this week, if you, I, I was looking up online and I found out that a 75-inch Toshiba LED 4K smart TV, if you want to save a little cash, people, for about $15 an hour, you can buy such a TV in about 30 hours. That's it. Not even a full week of work. You, you could have a 75-inch Toshiba LED 4K smart TV, at, by the way, at Best Buy. Or you could steal it. But if you steal it, you know, we teach our kids, crime doesn't pay. For, for instance, it's going to take hours to plan the theft. You gotta, how am I going to get in? How am I going to get out? You've got you to talk to a buddy who's going to have a drive, you know, a getaway vehicle. And then you've then you got to figure out how you're going to store and keep this TV away uh, from the criminal, uh, you know, the authorities for a while. And then, you, oh, that whole thing about, like, guilt and shame. Right? Crime doesn't pay. Well, in verses 4 and 5, God's speaking to Habakkuk says, there are really only two types of people in the world. There are those who remain independent and arrogant or those who humbly put their trust in the Lord God. There's only two types of people in the world. And what it describes, though, is that pride doesn't, it doesn't pan out, right? Verse 4, it says, all that, all that the proud person is is just a puffed-up person, a swelled head. And that swelled head leads to corrupted desires. It goes on in talking about they're, they're betrayed to think that this could work. There will, they will have no rest in this life or the next. It talks about just as the day, the dead, the death is never satisfied, that is, they're constantly digging graves at local cemeteries, so too that, that hunger for pride and arrogance, it's never satisfied. It's a foolish pursuit. There is no rest. They will not endure. Pride doesn't pay. And yet there's this little verse of hope in, 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 in verse 4, and we'll come back to it at the end. It says, but there, is, there are those that by faith, they will be declared righteous, and they will live. Jesus gives a, a, a similar kind of picture of this when he, when he talks about um, judgment and, and, and salvation in Matthew 11. Let's just look there quickly, and then we'll come back to Habakkuk. Uh, Matthew 11, Jesus actually speaks a very heavy word of, of judgment, beginning in verse 20. Uh, there's a little misconception uh, sometimes uh, in the world that Jesus doesn't talk about judgment, uh, that he doesn't um, speak with the same kind of authority about consequences for life choices as the God of the Old Testament uh, this text will let you know for certain that the Jesus of the New Testament actually sounds harsher than the God of the Old Testament. I'm picking up in Matthew verse 11, verse 20. He says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. 
And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? That is, will you be this proud, successful person? No, you are going to go down to Hades. For if the miracles were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So those Old Testament judgments of Sidon and on Tyre, Jesus warns there's something far worse coming for those who reject him, who don't humble themselves before him. What does humility look like? Verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. Those who are full of themselves, it's been hidden from, from you, these truths, but it's been revealed by God to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So the proud, the independent, they don't understand the things of God and they will not know the peace of God. But the humble, dependent children will live. They will find rest, which is how this passage ends. Verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Remember the arrogant have no rest. Those who come to Christ will have rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Matthew 11 and in Habakkuk 2, there is presented this future end. Right? The proud will have no rest, they will have no peace, they will have no salvation. But those who believe and those who are dependent and those who trust will have life. That's God's intended end. Like, we all have a sense of judgment, right? Because we all know that the judgment day is coming. Because all of you, sometime in the next six months, will go to the dentist. And at the dentist, all things will be revealed. We will know if you're really drinking water or if you're drinking Mountain Dew. We will know if you have brushed and we will know if you will flossed. Being arrogant on the morning of your dentist visit does you no good. The question is, was there a life of humility and trust until that day? And that's the picture that Habakkuk is getting from God. And Jesus is instructing in first century, is it a lifestyle? Is it a life of humility and trust and dependence on God? Or are we swelled up and proud? Because the proud will not endure. That's the end we're supposed to see. That's a truth that's supposed to be carved into our minds like on tablets. See this truth. Believe this truth. But what I see going on in the next section of Habakkuk, it's not just something of truth we're supposed to see. It's not just something to be carved into our minds. We move to something that we're supposed to feel in our gut. And the reason why I say that is, if you look at this text, there are five different times where the word woe is used. Um, I'll teach you a Hebrew word today. The Hebrew word for woe is ho. You guys are Hebrew experts, right? It's a guttural expression of angst and frustration. Right? And so when you read these woes coming from the lips of God, like this is his angst and frustration against pride. But in verse 6, and this is, this is a unique thing, in verse 6 it says this type of woe and ho and alas is supposed to be taken up by people. Did you catch verse 6? Verse 6 says, Will not all of them 
taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, it's a strange verse, but who are all of them? All of them are the nations mentioned in verse 5 that experience the destruction of proud Babylon. And God says, there is a time where those who have been defeated by enemies, the, the, those, the victims of the bullies, you can take up a taunt of ridicule against the proud. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the way to live. Uh, this verse 6, it's, just, it's almost just describing this, like, think with me about the foolishness or the madness of going against God. It's, it's, it, and I'm using the term silly side hustle. What I mean by that is there are some side hustles that just don't pay off. I mean, how many of you guys made your parents spend $20 for a lemonade stand when you were seven? How much money did you get back on that lemonade stand? Like you lose, you always lose money with a lemonade stand. It's a silly side hustle. No one makes money on lemonade. Or can you imagine the little boy uh, at Laguna Beach on Pacific, the Pacific Ocean? He's got his, you know, his, his red bucket. He's got his blue shovel, and he spends the whole afternoon just making this beautiful sand city with all these castles. And then he looks out, and he knows that the waves are just getting a little bit closer. Right? And then he starts getting freaked out. You know, he may even, like, lay down to, like, protect the sand city. But we all know what's happening to that sand castle city. The waves are going to bring it to nothing. Silly side hustles. Sand castles. Verses Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's talk about five silly side hustles, five sand castles that don't last. Number one, verses six through eight, money. Human greed. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods, makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Maybe this will work. Maybe the money will last. And nope. It's not going to last. Foolish is the person who thinks more money, more goods, and more wealth makes any difference. It's a rat race. And the moment you think that you've won, it all gets taken from you. Verse 7. Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. I was just reading through my Bible reading plan this, this week. And you read in Daniel chapter 5, the Babylonians are having a feast with all of the captured goods of Israel. They're drinking from golden things that were used in the temple. And a hand appears. As they're having this meal, and the message is that they have, been, they have been numbered and found wanting. And that very night, Babylon, Babylon is empowered no more. We can think that we can get all this stuff, this money, and it's gone in a second. Think about this funny proverb. You're supposed to laugh, but then you're supposed to think. Proverbs 23, verse 5, it says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. <laughs> For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. 
Like, that's funny. Your Benjamin Franklin is going to take wings and fly away. So don't put your hope in money. Woe to the person who thinks money's going to last. It's a silly side hustle. It's a sandcastle. It won't last. Second woe is woe. Woe to those who put their hope in personal security. Woe to him, it says in verse 9, who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Like that, What an image. If I could just have enough Enough house, enough 401k, enough health insurance. I want to have Medicare and plan A, maybe plan B too. Then I can build this life where I will have enough. And it says, no, you've just plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house, forfeiting your life. It says, the stones of the wall will cry out. That, that's a, that one hit me this week. If we put our hope in our houses, in our remodels, in our new builds, one day, if that's been our hope, if that's been our security, those, the, 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 the drywall will cry out against us. The two-by-fours will cry out against us. It's a sandcastle. It's a silly side hustle. Won't last. Woe to human greed. Woe to personal security. And then here's another one. This maybe gets close to home for some of you. Woe to those who put their hope in national dominance, verses 12 and 13. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations, this isn't just Babylon, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Babylon thought that they could defeat one neighboring nation after another and that soon they would be safe uh, at all sides. And saying, woe to the nation that thinks they have enough strength to protect its own borders. Woe to the nation that does all it can to build up its own dominance. Woe to the country that doesn't have the Lord as its God. It says, God warns every nation, even our own, that you will exhaust yourselves for nothing if you build anything, build on anything other than the knowledge of the glory of God. Woe to human greed, woe to personal security, woe to national dominance. And then a long one, woe to those who put their hope in physical desires. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. It says you will be filled with shame instead of glory. It says, now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. So this, this image, it's a nation or a proud person that tempts its neighbors towards luxury and drunkenness, and th- th- then... The, the whole purpose, though, is in some form of way to rape and to pillage. To gaze on naked bodies is probably a euphemism for sexual dominance. Notice in verse 16, it says, people do this to have a taste of glory. And the warning is, the glory will turn back and it will end up being shame. Our desire to conquest or to have displays of power, it comes back on us. 
In fact, if you can, you can do the research on both pornography, the LGBTQ community, uh, all sorts of sexual immorality, it actually leads to greater and greater levels of violence, which is exactly what Habakkuk warns. Woe to us who pursue physical desires. And then last, the fifth woe, it makes a warning about religious idolatry. Verse 18, it says, Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman? Or an image that teaches lies. For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone. (laughs) Wake up! Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. Now, maybe up to this point, you're tracking. You see the danger of greed and dominance and and sexual morality, and you're, you may think, yeah, that makes sense. God, you should judge that. But, but idolatry, I mean, idolatry is harmless, right? I mean, aren't little Buddha dolls that people rub? That's just silly. You know, maybe you, maybe you pick on Catholics with, you know, holy water or rosaries. Maybe you laugh at people who, who hold on to a rabbit's foot or play with crystals. This, I want you to hear this. God doesn't think idolatry is harmless. He doesn't think these religious fascinations and these putting hope in any sort of object is harmless. You might say he saves the best for last or he saves the worst for last. That is, it was Babylon's trust in itself and in its false gods that produced all these different forms of selfishness and pride and violence and greed and immorality. In many ways, this is like this fifth woe is like the tenth plague. There will be judgment. The idea that there's five of them, is that this is unstoppable. This is certain. The repetition is supposed to hit us like waves till it knocks, us into, knocks sense into us. So we feel it in our gut. We need to be freed from the side hustles of our own life that look like this. You know, one of my favorite comedians is a guy named Brian Regan. I don't know if you guys listen to Brian Regan. He's got one of, his, one of my favorite sketches where he talks about this thing that when we're in social, social context, we try to one up, one up each other. So whether it's a story of a wisdom tooth extraction or walking on the moon, and, and we're trying to one up each other. And so it's always like, this is you, this is me. This is you, this is me. And you laugh. But if you don't change, you miss the point. Verse 6 says, take up this taunt. See that this is ridiculous madness to live this way. But don't just laugh. Right? Repent. Run. Flee. Seek the safety of God's grace and forgiveness. We want to see God's intended end. We want it so that it will free us from silly side hustles in our own life. And the last piece, though, is that it also should silence our rebellion. That's how this text ends. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In the face of absurd lifestyles and debaucheries of the world, God rules from his holy and heavenly temple, all the world should be silent. Some of you who read the book of Revelation know that when they open the seventh seal, 
preceding the seven trumpets, there is silence in heaven. Like that's the weightiness, the gravity of God's judgment that even heaven went silent. And this is supposed to silence us. Or or let me put it this way, how, how silence works, I think. It's be silenced now or be silenced later. This is a mercy to be silenced now and to get right with God. To not get right with God is the, the, the sure and certain judgment of God at the end where he will put all enemies under his feet and there will be silence from his foes. So if you recall that the Apostle Paul speaks about the need for silence at the end of Romans 3. For almost two chapters, the Apostle Paul has built this argument that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that all have sinned and rebelled against God. No one is righteous, no, not one. And then he gets to Romans 3, verse 19 through 20, and he says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. For me, that's the impact of Habakkuk 2. We become conscious of our sin. We have no excuse. Uh, every now and again, our inner lawyer kind of steps up. But I'm not quite as bad as Babylon. And you know, the law of God shoots the inner lawyer and says, No, you too. You too. You know, is there, what's our hope then? <laughs> how, how do we get right with God? And I, I love that when the Apostle Paul, you can keep turning your Bibles to the right. When the Apostle Paul comes in Galatians 3, he's going to quote Habakkuk to give us some hope for those who are under the law, those who have been silenced, those who fall short, those who have been seduced by side hustles. And let me just read this section and just make a few closing remarks. He begins by saying, For all who rely on works of the law, Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So just like Habakkuk, we're we're put in our, our place that we have not obeyed. There's a warning of judgment on everyone who lives contrary to God's word. They will be cursed. Verse 11 says, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. It says, The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Then it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of God, the, the promise of the Spirit, excuse me. So again, there's a warning of judgment to everyone who lives contrary to God's word. Second, it says their only hope is for those who rely on God, which is why they quote Habakkuk chapter 2. But now observe a few things that Paul clarifies for us that we didn't get in Habakkuk. First, God doesn't save by ignoring judgment. He doesn't overlook sin. What this passage says is that he had to put the curse on Jesus Christ. 
God had to send judgment on Jesus for all of our sinful side hustles. Because all sin requires payment. Payment. Something is due. It says Christ paid for that. That's what the word redeem means. He redeemed us. Jesus' death is a payment for sin to buy us out of judgment. Christ takes our judgment and pays our price. God doesn't ignore judgment. He pays the price himself. It's that be silent, silent now. Silent in the sense of just awed by the grace of God that he would save us like this. It should silence our fears of judgment. If you're a Christian, all those warning of judgment in Habakkuk 2 have been put on Christ. Be comforted by the good news of the gospel. He has saved us, he has secured us, and he will bring us home. When Martin Luther reflected on the consummation of God, he he put these lines in a mighty fortress. He says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It abideth. It goes on. I'm going to trust in him. So trust in Christ. In fact, let me give you just three quick applications. This is the very end. Just the first one is, if you haven't, Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who took your judgment, the one who took your curse. There's an end coming where all that will be left is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Those who know him now will experience that knowledge later. But those who don't know him now will experience his judgment. So believe in Christ. Added to that, Christian believer, believe in the coming consummation. See the end. The robed people singing praise to God. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord to the ends of the earth. Believe that. So believe in Christ. Second, though, related to that then, is build carefully. Don't build your life on things that aren't going to make it. Years ago, John Wesley was given a a tour of this guy's grand estate. And just... He was just raving about his horses and his stables, and he asked John Wesley what he thought about it, and John Wesley said, I think you're going to have a tough time letting this go. Believe in Christ, build carefully, and then final word, befriend wisely. And I use the word wisely intentionally because the Proverbs say, you are wise if you save souls. When we talk about consummation, it should bring hope to the believer, but also a sense of motivation that those who don't yet know Christ, we need to befriend wisely. He who saves souls is wise. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the mercy that is ours in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, this is our only hope. Thank you that... um, You reveal in many places in Scripture your intended end and purposes of creation. We've looked at several this morning. We pray that uh, the the truth of your coming return, the truth of Christ's consummation, uh, that those uh, truths would be carved into our minds. And then also they would would shape our hearts. They would would get us uh, to the gut level to not live foolishly for things that don't last. And in the end, Lord, we're going to stand silent before you in humble trust. Uh, But I also pray that out of the the abundant salvation you offer those who trust in you, it would motivate us to make sure others hear about your salvation and the coming consummation. Help us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.